detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. No words. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy Podcast, where the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball, coming to you here from Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, I'm really excited. Tonight, I have two guests. Bill Van Vagel is back with me from Canada. Bill, how are you doing tonight? I am doing awesome. I hope everybody out there is happy, safe, and getting ready for some friggin' sports. Baseball is back. It's back. It's kind of back, right? Well, sort of back. Sort of, kind of back. It's more back than movies in the movie theater are back. That's true. You can't show uh, up, uh, but you can cheer from your coach. That's right. Or, or from the back of your, your car or truck, if you happen to have a drive-in nearby. <laughs> so, And I'm pretty excited because we have somebody else with us, another guest with us tonight. And uh, that is Greg Bench. Greg, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. All right, yeah, as you said, I'm I'm Greg Bench. I'm straight out of uh, the north northwest Ohio, right around the uh, Toledo region, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It was exciting when you uh, gave me the message to to let me be included. Greg is a regular a regular call in over at the Land of the Creeps podcast, which Bill also hosts. Which anyone who's listening hasn't heard Land of the Creeps, it's an awesome podcast. Greg Morgan runs over there, but Greg calls in, and I, I love it, Greg, because you always leave like fifteen <laughs> voicemails because the cutoff is like four minutes. There, the first time I ever tried to call in, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to make a voicemail because <laughs> I can't race the clock. But you, <laughs> you even have the brakes about right now, <laughs> where you know when to stop. And call back in, but yeah, I was I was real excited to have you on. You've been on the Land of the Creeps podcast too as well. I think you guys did, didn't you, Bill? Bill, you and Greg weren't your your first uh, times on Land of the Creeps was like a best of the year for twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Yeah, uh, for whatever reason, Dave couldn't be on, and they decided to bring two people who had just called in enough times that they said bring them on, and <laughs> we both came on. It's it's basically yeah, it was a good, yeah. I remember hearing that. You break into the business by bothering people. That's basically what And the happened. irony is by the when I actually found Land of the Creatures, which wasn't too long ago, that was the first episode I found. So I was listening to to you and uh and Greg and then Greg Morgan. So our sweet voices inspired you to get back in the game. That's it, exactly. It's something like that, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, here we are in the middle of the summer. Actually the middle of the summer edging towards the end of the summer, and it's not been like any summer I've ever experienced before. But uh, it's it's been something else. I we've managed to get out and do some things. We've managed to do some some pool stuff, and we have gone to the drive-in a couple of times. Now we have a drive-in about a half hour from us. That's been fun. One of the things that we didn't get to do this summer that we often do, we haven't done, and we just kind of decided not to, uh, is camping. You know, going out into the woods and oh. we're not. Ex- 
don't yeah, even you, get me going. I'm too I'm gone <laughs> generally six of the eight weeks in the summer. I know. It's killing me, but you know what? We made that decision as a family. We're going to, we parked our trailer in our backyard. And so when we want to go camp, we we walk the 10 meters to the trailer and then we're there. Yeah, we've, we've been meaning to pull the tent out a little bit. And you, sometimes we do in the summer. We haven't quite done that yet this year, but we'll, we'll get around to it. It is what it is, but I do enjoy camping. Greg, have you done much camping or out in the woods? No, not as of lately. Um, God, I have two, two little kids and... Um, they're interested in it, but then once it gets to a certain point, they're like, ah, I don't really want to be out here anymore, Dad. <laughs> it's just a We've done more of the uh, just setting it up, playing in the backyard, and they play in it. Um, I've even set it up inside the house for them. It's just a little tent. It's just a little pop-up, so obviously it can fit inside the house. And we've had them sleep in there before just so they can have some fun. How old are your kids, Greg? As, as a kid, as a kid, I used to go camping a lot. Um, uh, I have a 12 year old and a nine year old, a 12 year old boy and a little nine year old girl. So it's a great age. They have a lot of fun. Yeah. Good, good, uh, good age uh, gap there too. I have a six year old, a six year old girl and an eight year old boy. So yeah, we, we, we had Ella out camping by eight months old. So to her, it's second nature, (laughs) (laughs) but my, my kids, yeah. When they decide they don't like it, Greg, it's like, 11 o'clock right and you're laying down and it's like okay a little a little too late guys <laughs> suck it up but, buttercup let's go right so but because of that because we're kind of in you know i guess to sort of scratch the camping itch that i'm having right now or i'm like oh we can't we can't go out we can't be out in the in, in the in the yard and i used to do a lot of camping when i was a kid uh, i thought it would be fun to kind of have a camping or wilderness theme for horror films for for the podcast and to kind of talk about movies that and this isn't necessarily what we kind of did here was to pick movies and i think in some cases try to find things either we hadn't seen or movies that maybe were uh, a little on the outside beaten path of the genre so we are talking the friday the 13th or some of those other movies that may take place in the woods and things like that there's plenty of those movies and at the end of this episode we'll probably throw a few other titles out there but what we did here was specifically we asked each of us to kind of pick two titles so uh each person tonight will have two movies and we'll talk about those movies and then at the end we will talk a little bit more about wilderness horror in general which i feel like is something that's sort of coming back you know in the 70s you'd have a lot of that where movies taking place out in nature out in the woods it was certainly cheaper you know the cabin in the woods kind of theme popped up in the 70s and the 80s but we're not talking about just movies that take place in the woods as much as movies that were the theme of being in the wilderness is really a part of the story to, to to most extent in all of these films there's an element where the wilderness and nature itself has a pretty large role so what I'm going to do first we start out with uh Bill Bill's going to open up with a movie that is pretty straightforward in its relationship to the woods and to the wilderness. So, Bill, do you want to go ahead and take it away? Sure. Um, I just wanted to say this is a fun genre because you can go in many directions with the woods and the camping theme because you can do animal attack type films. You can do slasher type films. You can do scary stories sitting around the campfire type films. So it really lends itself to... Any direction you want to take it, and you can make it as good or as poor as you want, because the ammunition is there. You just have to go with it. So I 
I, here was my thought process. I went with two films that I hadn't seen before. I always like to expand my knowledge bank. And I basically picked a couple off uh, YouTube or Tubi or Prime. And I just decided completely blank in green and go into them. So my first one was I chose because of the title and I had never heard of it at all. That's 1982's The Forest. An hour and 25 minutes rated R directed by Don Jones written by Don Jones and stars three actors and actresses who you will not know. Welcome to the forest. Do you know how many people go into these woods every year and never come out alive? Steve, Sharon, Charlie, Teddy. Thought they'd planned the perfect weekend outing. Far away from the city. The crowds and the traffic. But this time maybe they've gone too far. Into the no. forest. You know, over the years, there's been some people that ain't come back to me. When you go into these woods, you better be ready. You'll need your backpack, your tent, and your knife. And if you don't have one, somebody else will. Daddy's going hunting. Ask yourself, what on earth could possibly spoil the fun of a weekend in the woods? And what on earth can save you? So I want to start with director Don Jones. I did some research on him. He did mainly sleaze grindhouse films. That was his bag. He did movies titled School Girls in Chains, Sweater Girls, that sort of thing. He directed a movie called Sweater Girls. Sweater Girls. <laughs> and we're not and we're not talking Annette, we're not talking Annette Funicello here, you know. So he kind of wanted wanted to go outside of the TNA type of grindhouse and actually do a horror film. So I'll let you know what I thought of the results, but the fact that this will be a quick review gives you a pretty good idea. So the IMDB synopsis is such a cannibal hermit living in the woods preys on campers and hikers for his food supply. Oh, that's kind of a crappy generic uh, answer to that, but you know what? It's not that far off. Here are the notes I wrote. And usually I write like two to three pages worth of notes. This was half a page. That's all I got. So in the California hills, two guys and their girlfriends decide to go camping slash backpacking. But they decide to go up separately. They go in two different vehicles. Uh, the ladies go up first in their station wagon. The guys follow in behind. Now the women get there first and they're setting up camp and they're looking for somewhere to go. And they decide to take the trails up in the woods the guys go up a little bit later and their car gets into car trouble and they have to get their radiator fixed at the garage so the ladies have a head start and the men have already had trouble before they've even gotten there now these are pretty good guys this is the early 80s you know you have a few pops you get in your camaro and you drive Theirs was not a Camaro. I think theirs is more closer to a Clark Griswold kind of car uh, so the women tent on their own they hear sounds when they're uh, just getting going and they see the ghosts of kids talking in the forest. There's this kind of omnipresent ghosts that kind of pop out and we're not really sure what they mean, but they warn the girls to hide before daddy comes for them. Oh, and by the way, he's a cannibal. So we get to see this daddy and he's basically looks like a trucker, scruffy guy in a wife beater, trucker's hat, and he's dirty. And he goes after them and kills one of them for food. And the other jumps off a rock cliff in order to escape. 
So she jumped off to escape and her other friends already toast and we're probably half an hour into the film. They find the killer's cave. The men do after they show up because they show up, they set up camp, they're looking for the women and they find this cave in the forest. They find the killer's cave and they eat what they think is roasted meat. And we'll get to that later. He tells the story of his wife and this guy is the scrubby looking guy. He walked in on her in bed with the water heater repairman. And it turns out that he has not been quite the faithful, not faithful. He hasn't been the lover that she expected. So every time he went to work, she would have dalliances with anyone who came by. The water repairman, the TV repairman, the milkman, the mailman, anybody who has a male appendage, she slept with. And he gets pissed off at her, obviously. Sees her in bed with him. He ends up killing her by hitting her on the her head on the side table. And he kills the lover as well. So they're both gone. And he takes the two kids after he uh, gets everything together and takes off for the woods with them. So he's telling the story to the people, right? I'm not going to get into a great in-depth on this. It's very cheap. It's very ineffective in getting any kind of scares. The guys go looking for the girls after they slept in the cave. The guy tells them the story. He feeds them this meat. It turns out the meat is the meat of humans, obviously. Uh, one and but one thing I did notice: one of the hiker looks like a younger J.K. Simmons. That's what I said immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind. It's kind of got supernatural elements. The poster looks really cool, which is a theme that uh, Nathan has come up with before. It'd be great to have the poster. Too bad the film doesn't follow up. It's oh. slow. There's not a lot of killing. There's some really bad synth pop from the early 80s. At the end, there's a showdown between the ghost of the mom looking for her kids. A male gets killed. Uh, there's an awful final showdown fight between the male camper, the hermit, and the female camper that survives. And at the end of the day, they didn't even explain how or why the kids died. So... If you really have 86 minutes or whatever it is, an hour 25 to kill, I would rather pluck my fingernails and have a shower than watch this film again. I would I give this a 2 out of 10 to be generous, but you really could go even lower. I don't know what you guys thought about it, but uh, it's not the hidden gem I expected. <laughs> Greg, what are your thoughts on this one? Um... You know, Bill Bill really summed it up. I mean, it's just nothing to write home about. The poster, again, it's 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 great cover art, and it does entice you to go inside, which is, you know, don't judge a book by its cover because it's not there. There's nothing to – there's nothing. The the runtime of 80-plus minutes is, is – uh, they had some filler. And with his background that you described, Bill, the, uh, the scene where she's caught in bed with the water repairman, is very apparent that that whole scenario has been done before because that was probably the well, the most well executed besides the campers. Everything was good with the campers. I felt until we meet the cannibal. And at that point, I've never seen a cave so well lit and furnished by Ikea. <laughs> yeah. And at first I thought he was, uh, I thought he was a ghost too, which, you know, that was part of the, problem it really didn't fill in the blanks it took like a good 30 seconds for me to realize oh no wait he's he's actually alive he's not one he's not a ghost like the other people so 
uh, it just bounces all over the place. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I like your rating of two out of 10. It's, it's slightly above a one. It could deserve it, but there are some, some moments where you kind of just go, really, that's where you're going with this. So yeah, that two out of 10 is a solid, solid rating. Yeah. It's, it is not a hidden gem. <laughs> I I had not heard of it before Bill brought it up. And the issue, and honestly, as far as 80s slashers, and particularly this sort of subgenre of the slasher in the woods, this is maybe one of the worst I've ever seen. I mean, honestly, in, in terms of production value and uh, attempts at cohesion of the script and just random things happening, and then dullness, because let's face it, unfortunately, a lot of this movie is pretty dull. The best scene in the movie is kind of the one you guys have alluded to, where he comes in, the, you know, the kind of flashback, if you will, where he comes in on the wife who's having her dalliance, and it's like, I guess she's with all the different repair guys, because, you know, that way she can have all seven days of the week filled out. I'm not sure exactly. The ghost kids are very odd, because I guess maybe they're going for a Shining sort of vibe, but it comes off more like those Disney movies, you know? They're very chipper most of the time, and you can't quite figure it out, because... It seems like dad is clearly the bad guy, but they really don't like mom. But then who exactly killed them? It's all over the map. You get the idea that they're just throwing whatever sticks at the wall. Uh, They're throwing things at the wall and seeing what will stick. The other issue is flannel is just, I mean, I guess maybe if you're a fashion nista, maybe flannel is scary. But it's not scary in most general scenarios. So this flannel-wearing cannibal running throughout the through the woods. And it, there's not enough there to even make it fun in a bad movie kind of a way, you know? There's nothing there that has any kind of energy to it. I can think of a lot of other forest-themed slasher movies. And the other thing is they don't even get... They don't even make good on the forest ambiance, you know? One of the things that's scary about that camping concept is you're out in the woods, you're vulnerable because you're basically in a tent, right? There's only a small bit of fabric, fabric really, that's separating you from whatever's outside. You have a sense of safety, but that sense of safety is a lot less than there really is. And the movie never generates any tension. I, I didn't find anything tense at all. You know, like you mentioned, Greg, not all of the. Uh, the scenes with the, the teens are terrible, but it just never develops any kind of momentum. It's silly. It's kind of dumb. I, I'm going to go a little bit lower than two, and I'll give it a one and a half, because I don't think it succeeds, really, at anything it's trying. It's not terribly frustrating to watch, because it's not that many minutes in before you realize, hey, this isn't really going anywhere. And I guess it's it's amiable enough, but man, it was like, woof. It's, it's kind of in that territory where it's not... Go- good enough to be a cult film and it's not bad enough to be so bad it's good it's just kind of in that wishy-washy murky area it's even worse in the so bad it's bad <laughs> it's, it's, it's so incompetent that it refuses to give you any entertainment yeah, by, to, the, by, to, the, to the, the very end by this standard ed wood is entertaining yeah you know, i would much rather i would watch plan night from outer space much uh, sooner than i would watch this again and if you are like a slasher aficionado i really would say skip it it's not it's only really a slasher movie in the sense that there's a guy out there killing people, you know. It doesn't have any of the beats you would expect. It's not even fun in a really over-the-top way. I saw a movie earlier this summer. Uh, it's also from the 80s called Berserker. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. Have either Greg, have you seen it? No. Bill, how about you? I, I have, but it's been a while. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, essentially you have... Uh, 
there's a Viking warrior roaming the woods in modern day, you know, in the 80s, uh, killing people. And he kind of, it's, there's a possession thing going on. So he really is like this big Viking warrior who runs out of the woods and, and it, with a wolf mask on. And at one point, I believe, wrestles a bear. But uh, that kind of thing is ridiculous. It's also a lot more fun than the forest. So if you ever come across the forest, I kind of wish we just reviewed the poster. Well, you know, what, you know what this movie does do? Because the one good scene is the making love, being caught cheating, is I do want to go watch out and run Sweater Girls. You, you do that, Bill. You come back and come back and let me know how that works. So, so not a lot of fright for you. You could watch this one out in the middle of the woods, and it still wouldn't scare you. Absolutely. Uh, but so our next movie. So we'll move from the forest to a movie from 1979 with there's a little bit more money behind it and a a, a bigger uh, profile for certain. And this is 1979's Prophecy. And it was directed by John Frankenheimer, who, at the time of the movie, the time the movie was released, was a pretty high-profile director. And it was also based off of a book by David Seltzer, who was pretty well-known at that time for writing and working on the novelization for The Omen and writing The Omen, and which was a pretty big hit at that point. It is not the offspring of witchcraft or Satan. It was created by man. It will grow to be 15 feet tall. It will have huge eyes, webbed hands, hooked claws. It will walk upright. And it will mindlessly, mercilessly kill every living thing it meets. Prophecy. One imagines at the time the movie came out, there was supposed to be a little bit of kind of prestige behind it. I think that once the movie was released, that level of prestige went down a little bit. However, I don't really think that affects the entertainment value of the movie, which is pretty high for me. I wanted to return to this one because it's a movie I saw growing up. It's really, uh, I don't think that it succeeds at the things it was trying to do, but in some of its missteps, it kind of succeeds at doing something else, at least in my opinion. So I'll kind of set up the uh, the story here. But Prophecy takes place, it's supposed to be taking place in Maine, but it's filmed in British Columbia. So, and you can, cinematography-wise, it's beautiful, but you look at it and there's many times, I'm pretty sure this is not, this isn't Maine. But it stars Robert Foxworth and Talia Cher and Armando Sante. Although Armando Sante seems to be playing a Native American here, which is little... A little off, but it's uh, it's set there at the uh, Ossipee River area, and it's following this environmental agent who, it, when we first see him, he's I guess he's in D.C. He's somewhere in a in a kind of a ghettoized part of the city, and he is working with a uh, he's writing up environmental inspections uh, due to rats that are sort of infesting uh, one of these uh, apartment complexes that are there, and so. You get that happening in the very beginning. He's very serious. He's very somber about his job. His wife, who's a violinist, played by Talia Sher, it's clear right up front that she is pregnant, but she's terrified of telling him because he sort of has that gruff, uh, nihilistic perspective that why would we want to bring a child into the world? He's very against the concept of having a child. She's pretty certain that if she were to present this to him, he would be very adamant about having an abortion. So this is a point of contention and conflict between them 
the very opening, but he is contacted uh, by some of the, the people he knows within the environmental business that are saying, hey, you know, we want to send you up to this place in Maine because there's a conflict between the local government and this uh, the paper mill. And then we also have the indigenous people that are here, the Native American uh, tribe in the area are having a conflict and they're hoping that he can come in and if he can prove that there's pollution going on as a result of the paper mill then it will give the uh, the indigenous tribes the ability to sort of argue their point and get the logging to cease and desist so a lot of that i mean that's a lot of setup and it does take a little bit to get this uh, this setup going in because foxworth comes in he and sheriff fly in they meet with uh uh, Richard Dysart, I believe, is playing the character who is the owner of the paper mill, and he, you know, he's very adamant about how deadly and dangerous the the Native Americans are because right now they're coming in and they're putting themselves between the chainsaws and they're causing a scene and they're having protests and things like that. So there's a lot of this setup that goes on while this is happening. There is a sense that something uh, not so good is going on in the woods. There is There are murders taking place, and people are going missing, and we see scenes of something large sort of moving through the night, moving through the underbrush. There's an opening scene with those Spielbergian flashlights shooting everywhere, and there's a, a, res, a search and rescue team looking for, I assume, a missing person and come upon something much different, and that kind of chaos ensues so there's a monster in the woods there's the issue of whether or not the paper mill is polluting the rivers and there are the tribes people that are coming to foxworth and letting him know that hey look animals are being affected here we see mutant tadpoles really big rubbery mutant tadpoles we see giant fish and we get the idea that there is a chain reaction that's going through here and that this has moved up the food chain to the point that something much larger in the woods has been affected by this and is now on a sort of rampage. And eventually all of these storylines with the paper mill, the Native Americans, Foxworth and his wife, and the monster all sort of intersect. And at that point the movie just goes basically nuts. Basically aliens in the woods, you know, just a big beastie chasing people through the woods. And the movie gets really ridiculous uh, pretty quickly once we see the monster for the first time i think that's the moment where all sense of uh prestige or, or sense of like uh quality kind of go out the window because this monster is utterly ridiculous and if you haven't seen prophecy it's probably worth going into it without knowing but i am going to spoil this element you basically have uh what i like to think of as the meatloaf bear this is a giant enraged mother bear who looks like I found an old review. I think it said something like, if you took a lasagna and a bear and put it in the Brundle machine, this is what it would look like. Its face is kind of like a melted pizza. It's it's oozing and pussy, and it's huge. And it's clearly also a person in a suit. So it comes trundling out of the darkness and screaming on the soundtrack and starts flinging its arms around and hitting people. And uh, it looks absolutely ridiculous. It's not convincing really at all, but it's it's really entertaining to watch uh, and somehow frankenheimer does manage i think in some of the scenes to still keep a sense of suspensefulness and 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 energy going even though it's clear that this thing is just a guy in a big old bear suit running around you know it's a, it's almost 
uh, Japanese kaju levels. It's not that big, but it looks like that. It could be a Godzilla villain if you just you know shot it up to fifty feet tall. And the first scene when it comes out and it attacks a family in the woods, and <laughs> there's a kid in a sleeping bag, and he gets up to run away, and this bear hits him. And the sleeping bag just shoots like a torpedo into a nearby rock and explodes <laughs> into feathers. Oh my gosh. As a kid, that scene freaked me out. As an adult, it will be the moment that this movie either loses you or it wins you over. And for me, it won me over. I love this movie, but it is a ridiculous piece of schlock. It, you, you can't defend it, but there's a lot of effort that did go into it. I think that's clear that people were trying to make an actual... You know, there's a, a sense that this should be a serious movie. It's not a serious movie. And at some point they lean into that because later on the bear is chasing people in a truck and that's ridiculous looking. He's smashing them. And there's a big finale that is absurd where Foxworth is going up against the bear. And it, But at the same time, there are moments that work even on an emotional level Talia Sher doesn't have a lot to do early on, but as she becomes aware that she has eaten the same fish from the river that has infected this bear, and she is dealing with the fact that she's pregnant and whatever horror is happening with these animals, it's probably happening within her. I think she does a nice job of that. She internalizes it. There's some good scenes between her and Foxworth. Now, that's when the monster stuff starts ramping up, so it, it isn't explored as much as it could be. But the scene where she finds the two mutant bear cubs trapped in the net, I think is a really effective scene for the kind of movie that it is. So I I really enjoy this, but I think you go into it knowing that it's going to get a little crazy. I think it probably plays better now where people have that expectation that it's a bit campy than when it did when it had all of this big sort of buzz behind it. And the one thing I want to read, I'm not big into reading reviews you know, before I review a movie, and I've seen this movie you know, I saw it when I was a kid, forgot about it. Actually, was wondering if it was even real. I felt like it was something I dreamed, and then one day I found it on television again years later. But I did find a snippet of a review. Apparently, Quentin Tarantino now writes reviews for the New Beverly Cinema website, and he recently reviewed Prophecy. And you kind of could figure that it's not surprising that a movie like this would appeal to to him. But he has, and I'm going to paraphrase here. Uh, basically replacing the S word with with crap. But he says, John Frankenheimer's prophecy is pretty much a piece of crap from the word go. But the more it goes, the more enjoyable this piece of crap gets till it can officially be classified under that beloved category, enjoyable piece of crap. (laughs) Greg, what did you think about this movie? Um... You know, it's like you it's like you dipped inside my head. Um, I really, you know, the cinematography and everything, and I was like hook, line, and sinker. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was following it, started to see some of the rubber effects early on, like you said, with the fish and with the tadpole, and then with the with the mutant bears. It was like, okay, you know, it was 79. They didn't have quite that budget, you know. I'm cool with it. I'm understanding. But once you see that major monster, it just, it's like a flip of the coin. <laughs> it, it was, it, it, but you know, it's endearing. And I, and I'm on that side where when that sleeping bag exploded, I didn't cheer, but boy, I had the best laugh of the day when that thing hit because I, I didn't see it coming. And sleeping big kills inside of any movie, you know, they're, they're always, they're never fully fledged out and they're always, 
you don't want to say funny or hilarious, but they're always just like, that's not the way I want to go. So when you're going camping, <laughs> you know, you feel like you're safe in your sleeping bag, whether it's Jason Voorhees or a group of maniacal people that want to light it on fire or a big giant, you know, meatloaf bear <laughs> sleeping bags, you know, I mean, that's, that's, but with that sleeping bag explosion, it was, it was great. And I mean, spoiler alert, if you want, but that, from that point on, I was hooked. I, I followed the, the Indian subplot. I thought that was interesting with the grandfather. When he dies, I kind of actually felt a little sad because I thought maybe he was uh, immortal to this to this beast. But, you know, and that scene was, was a little hokey. But... Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I would recommend it for most people. It was it was fun, and and you had, uh, you know, you had the mustache, uh, uh, another character all on its own back then. So I think if I remember, Foxworth had that that nice stash. So he looked like a pissed off Bob Ross through most of this movie. Yes, movie. he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I did enjoy it. Oh, and I guess rating-wise, so for me, I actually will go, I'll be kind of generous and say this is actually probably a 7 for me, just for pure entertainment value. Probably a 6 if you're looking at the quality, but I'm going to go 7. How about you, uh, Greg? Yeah, I'm going to follow you up on that 7, and the reason why I got bumped up is because of that sleeping bag kill. That thing, <laughs> that thing deserved a point all on its own. Cinematography is great, the acting is is fairly top-notch you know nobody was really uh you know not in their element per se so and tarantino in his review he made a, a, a point that i think is absolutely true which is like people would want for a better looking monster but he said if there was a better looking monster even though this movie is very well made it might just be more run-of-the-mill the bad monster sort of pushes it pushes it over the top like in all in the best universe we might have this might be the best version of prophecy because of the fact that we've got all that other effort and then we got this goofy animal running around on top of it all how about you bill this i enjoyed it i'm not going to go over a lot because you guys pretty much covered it all just a couple things one thing you downplayed was the ability and the uh curriculum vitae of the director john frankenheimer i mean this is a man who directed birdman of alcatraz manchurian candidate seven days in may french connection two and then i text you and i go he made this <laughs> you know and, and 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 he went from this he did the island of dr moreau he did ronin he did reindeer games well whatever you think of ben affleck it was still not bad and but this kind of seems like the albatross but, I mean, I didn't go through his entire cadre of films. So maybe he went through the odd bad one. But I found this one very enjoyable. I like the way how Richard Dysart get, gets his comeuppance. Although I would have wished to have seen a bit more of how it happened. Uh, but I thought Dysart actually played his over-the-top role pretty well. Because at a certain point, he realizes, yes, I did mess up. And Foxworth asks him, you know, what, what, didn't you know about the chemicals in the water? And he just goes, I didn't want to know. So he's basically giving his culpability right then and there. I thought they kind of modeled Foxworth almost to be like a Donald Sutherland character from oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like he's the food inspector, the health inspector in that one. This one, he's the uh, uh, EPA inspector, right down to a beard <laughs> and mustache. He seems like the like bargain basement version of that now that you say it. 
<laughs> exactly. Like he paid a fifth of what Donald Sutherland would have got, but you get a fifth of the movie. So, you know? <laughs> but the other thing I found interesting was, you know, at the point when the bear mutant bear is coming out and the uh, native guy is hiding and everybody's scrambling. Who knew they had a tunnel system under the teepees or the tents? <laughs> it's like, is this the Germans in the great escape running their own system underneath? Like who saw that coming? But I enjoyed it. I actually had written down seven out of 10 decent production quality. There was a lack of kill scenes. There was decent acting and there was some tension. So it's, it kind of hits that so bad. It's good with a slightly better bit of acting than you'd get from those 50 poverty row schlock sci-fi. Yeah, I agree with that. It seems like a, it does a, a winner all around. I like actually, I do appreciate that the, the PG rating on this and that there is a lack of maybe the violence because it is a movie that kind of, you can be, I mean, you have to gauge it right, but you can show kids. Because even the sleeping bag scene, my, my, my daughter commented last night, when the sleeping bag explodes, you just see feathers. There's not even blood-covered feathers. It's just feathers. And and she's like, did he get? Did he escape? Did he get out? I was like, no, I don't think that's what they're implying. <laughs> but, but I know, like, um, last year, not that long ago, Pastor Matt and Father and Son Watch Horror, he watched, uh, he, he wrote down his 100 best horror scenes. I would sneak this in right on the bottom of that top 100. Because that's a cool <laughs> kill. Yeah, yeah, it's the way it's shot. And I think this movie does. We were just talking about this. I think this movie does really uh, get the most out of its forest setting. I mean, those beautiful British Columbia forests, yeah, they're supposed to be made. But it looks great. And even the way the camera kind of shows, they'll, they'll, they'll zoom in on a sunny afternoon and you'll hear that bear growling in the forest. Or they'll have that scene with the helicopters coming in. And this is where Frankenheimer comes in, right? And his cinematographer. And you had the great scene the in the foreground or in the background the helicopter is coming in and it's shot in such a way that suddenly you look over and there's the claw marks on the tree you know just a lot of great shots that you wouldn't normally expect in a movie that has that kind of monster running around in it but yeah it's a lot of fun i've always enjoyed this one and i do think it's one that could be a if your family if you've got kids and you think they're ready for a horror movie this might be one to watch it almost kind of works as a kid's training wheels to a you know to when they get older and they can watch a slasher movie like Friday the 13th. This is almost training wheels for Friday the 13th. I realize it's the monster genre, but in the way the monster operates and the and the way it goes after people, you could kind of, you know, isn't that far from when Jason grabs a sleeping bag, right, and beats it against a tree. No, I mean, this isn't Frankenheimer's The Iceman Cometh. No, no, no. I, I like that he has a couple of these in his filmography, and I'll be honest, this is a far more enjoyable movie than The Island of Dr. Moreau, in, in my opinion. Well, there's yeah. Well, uh, who's the main actor there in that one? Um, uh, well, Brando's in it, uh, uh, but the, Val the main Kilmer. actor, Val Kilmer. Is, that's it. Val yeah, Kilmer. Kilmer's in there. the 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 star or the the protagonist, I guess I should say, is actually David Thewlis, and then Faruza Balk was in there too. But yeah, Val Kilmer and uh, Val Kilmer and Brando were the the two stars that the movie was uh, was sort of on the shoulders of. So now uh, we will move on. Greg, you have a movie now, also from the late 70s. Uh, let's hear what you had. Yes, I, I went with uh, The Long Weekend, a nice Australian film uh, with a varying date and year, but it was uh, 1978 was the, was the best year that I went with. Listen 
to the sound of evil. It is out there, waiting. Powerful, deadly, they are running for their lives. Because something is out there. There are secrets. There are mysteries. And every living creature, every blade of grass will turn against you. Basically, in a nutshell, it's a, a, a couple, uh, Peter and Marcy, and they're coming from the city. And they're kind of, uh, er, early on, it's developed that their relationship's kind of rocky. So they're going to go out into the, the country, out, out into the wilderness for a nice little holiday. And um, as they're traveling out there in their, in their SUV, um, a, I believe it's a wallaby. It might be a kangaroo, but hits it. And this is the start of where uh, the the theme of where nature is not appreciating this couple coming out to visit them, and and Peter's total disregard for anything kind of naturalist, anything with preserving the nature. And and as the story progresses, we see more and more of Peter and Marsha not really uh, appreciating the nature like they should. So after they get lost, obviously the audience knows that they're lost, and we see some clues, and then um, he finds the camp, and it busts right into the next morning, and, and Marsha is, is not kind of confused, but, you know, She's wondering what's going on. But as it continues to go through this awkward pas- passage between the two, are they in love? Are they falling out of love? They're obviously still together, but they're just not rekindling their romance properly. Nature continues to revolt against them by you know, various little things, whether it's, it's insects or when an eagle attacks Peter. Or even when um, there's the uh, possum attack, which was way over the top, but it, it was well done. Um, I, I found it to be a, a really kind of, a, you know, on the verge of being trippy, per se. And I just use that very loosely. But I don't want to spoil the, towards the end, because there's there's some real good... Uh, I don't know, want to say twist, but there's some good surprises in the end that after you've seen a, a few of the style of movie, you kind of know what's coming at you. But I found the music to be very ominous uh, with these with these nice animal sounds that, you know, it builds that tension that that I desire in these wilderness movies. Um, I remember it being reviewed. I think it was on Land of the Creeps. A few episodes ago when they were talking about Australian films. Um, and when you brought this up to me, Nathan, uh, you had suggested Long Weekend. It was on my short list 
when I searched for horror movie wilderness movies and I had not seen it. So I took the plunge and I, I did enjoy it. I would recommend it towards people and it's another seven out of 10 for me. Yeah. Very, very cool. And I kind of, I, I feel about the same way as well. I think that it's a very interesting, it's a strange movie and if you're coming to it from particularly a horror bent, it takes a little while. It's not your traditional horror movie. And like you, I don't want to spoil too much. It has a really pervasive sense of dread and foreboding, though. And as you're watching it, you're getting that feeling that you get from a lot of movies within that 60s and 70s range where you have the characters who come into the wilderness. And this is actually something that would happen a lot in the old cannibal movies, right? You know, a man comes in and, and the, the usurper and just sort of starts trashing things. But you're right, their disregard is pretty blatant. I mean, it's sort of like, here's an egg, let's smash it. We ran down a wallaby. And it's, it's you know, it's pretty egregious right off the bat. And it's juxtaposed against their broken relationship. And one of the weird scenes, even in the very beginning when you're when you're in the city with them before they've left... And they clearly are having problems even then. He gets home and it's like he's bought this big gun with a, you know, it's got a sight and everything on it. And what's the first thing he does? He steps out of the car and he's aiming. He's got his wife in the gun sights. And I'm like, what is, what's happening right here? So the movie goes a long distance towards establishing their estrangement. And then kind of like we see in movies like Hitchcock's The Birds, contrasting the human estrangement and the and the way in which these relationships they have seem almost unnatural with the natural world which kind of starts encroaching on them and man there are a lot of very weird things that happen in the back end of this movie that i would agree head towards being trippy and i love these australian movies there's a lot of them like this nicholas rogue did a movie it's not a horror film but it's a movie called walkabout which is really good capture some of that sensibility peter ware did a couple of these movies he did the picnic at hanging rock which i think is fantastic and he also did the last wave and both of those give the sense of of nature having an almost mystic or mythological quality to it uh but i i do think this is a really strong movie i'll go a, a hair above prophecy i'll give this one a 7.5 i think it's definitely a movie that takes its time and that's something to know is that this is a lot about mood, it's a lot about atmosphere, and it's about a building sense of something's wrong here, uh, both inside this relationship and in the, and in the wilderness around it. Bill, what did you think? Um, I wasn't quite as positive on it as you two. It's, it's not that it was a badly done film, because I think it was beautifully shot. I think the cinematography and the way that the story is set up, the story arc is done really well. For me, I just found it a touch slow, I do like a slow burn and I don't mind a good story arc, but there's, there's gotta be about 30, 40 minutes there where you're like, where is this going? You know? Um, but anybody in this genre who's watched enough of it, you kind of know where it's going. It's just taking its time getting there. I, I'm not going to give away the last half hour because that has to be watched. I, I will only say the ending is very abrupt. That's and I'll keep it at that. But I did write, I did write down there, uh, Greg and Nathan, that it is, it does have a birds type feel at times. There's a few bird attacks. There's a sense that you can't control nature and it's kind of seeking its uh, vengeance on the humans that have kind of messed up their living space and their ecosystem with the last hundred years versus what they had for thousands of years. He did not take the course on how to care for your air rifle. 
because that damn thing <laughs> went off a couple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He obviously, he obviously didn't take the course that you needed to. So I gave it a six out of ten. Um, if you're looking for a movie that's well done, this is worth watching. If you're looking for a movie with a lot of action, this may not be your bag. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair. Uh, and I will add, you know, on the on the wilderness scale, this definitely is high on that because it really amplified that feeling of when you're out in the woods and you hear all those sounds and you're like, you get that uneasy feeling and then how helpless you could become in a situation like that. I was going to say, I did find it quite funny at the beginning when they're lost and they have to sleep in the car all night. And in the morning he goes, you know, we were just about a hundred feet from the camp. Really? You're a hundred feet from the camp, but you couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah. That, the, the, the whole whole bit in here i won't go into it but when you get into things involving a manatee oh my goodness to see movies see things in movies i've never seen before and some of that stuff i have can legitimately say i haven't i haven't seen anyone handle that sort of thing like that before so i think it's a very unique film i think it is absolutely worth watching and it for me it ranks pretty high on the wilderness camping nature attacks kind of movie and, and it's done in a different way and let me give a quick shout out too that john hargraves and brian Betts, who play peter and marcia i guess they abandoned the brady bunch or whatever but uh they're there's the two main characters they're pretty strong in this and i mention that because they remade this movie in 2009 and i i don't know if it was originally The Long Weekend. I think it was eventually released as Nature's Grave, and it had Jim Caviezel. I'm trying to think of the female actress that was in the film. I don't remember too much about it, but they remade the movie, and they tried to remake it beat for beat, but it just it just fell apart. It just was not remotely as, as interesting. It wasn't as well shot, and it didn't have the energy that, that, that this one has. So if you, if you come across it and realize, oh, this is a remake... I would strongly suggest you kind of skip that one and see this one. Sounds good. So, Bill, how about your your next movie, your second movie? My second movie is one that I first saw the description and I thought, okay, sounds like fun. And when you start watching it, you realize, yeah, I have seen it, but it's been a while, so I want to keep watching it. And that's 2014's Preservation. Alcohol and firearms, an airy family tradition. My wife has got her game face on. Let's go hunting. What trail are we taking? We don't follow the trails, we follow the animals. Don't worry, we won't get lost. This was supposed to be our weekend. He's my mother. He isn't just on leave. He told me he was discharged. Oh, God! But he won't tell me why. I'm not exactly the hunting type. I don't think I could actually kill. <laughs> You'd be surprised what you can do when it needs to be done. Where's our stuff? Now, I'll give you the IMDb synopsis. An anesthesiologist must awaken her animal instincts when she, her husband, and her brother-in-law become the quarry of unseen hunters who want them all into their trophies. So, oh, sorry, want to turn them all into trophies. So what basically happens is this couple who's uh, been married for a little bit, or no, they haven't been married, sorry. They're dating with the potential to be married, and they're going hiking and camping up in the woods. I don't think they give specifically where it is, and they have his brother. 
And the wife, the girlfriend could kind of hope it would be them in a romantic, you know, kindle things together. But the brother's going through some hard times. He's been discharged from the army. And he needs kind of the moral support of the brother to get through a rough time in his life. So they all go out backpacking. Now, the director is someone by the name of Chris Denham. Uh, Chris Denham. And you, this is only his second directed movie, but he is an actor you might know of. He was in The Bay. He was in Argo. He was in Camp Hell. And he was in Shutter Island. So he kind of knows the genre. Couple is Mike and Wit. So they set up camp. They wake up. And their tent and their supplies are gone. And they all have an X on their forehead. So they're like, what the heck? So they think it's the brother-in-law who did it, or is it people in the woods, crazy wackos? Because they've run into a couple. Sean finds that his dog is hung. So this is basically a modern version of the world's most dangerous game, where people are under attack. The killers turn out not to be what you think, and I'm not going to give that away, because I want you to watch but it's not necessarily a typical trope that you see in films. So this is a very good film in terms of building up the tension. I think this is a good film in terms of using the atmosphere to the best that it can. It's a survival film in the woods against an opponent that you don't necessarily see coming. And when you realize what it is, it's like, holy crap, this is actually happening. So I, I gave this a seven or maybe even a seven and a half out of 10. I really like this film. And uh, Greg, what did you think about it? Yes. Yes. Uh, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the film. Um, this is definitely a movie. Don't read anything about as Bill has said, I'm not going to spoil it either. Uh, when I first saw this, Oh, a few years back, you know, and it was for a movie challenge that I was doing and had no clue what I was getting myself into it's playing out and it's one of those things where you're like, you know, it's adrenaline fueled. You're watching it because you, you, you know, when you see these movies, you want to start guessing what's going on. And even though, you know, Bill laid it out, there's a moment where you actually think Sean, the, the brother is, is behind this whole thing because the couple is talking about it. He's dealing with, you know, being booted out of the army. He has, you know, mild PTSD. He was drinking heavily the the night before, you know, not really hitting on his, his future sister-in-law, but really kind of, you know, there was some hints and some like, Hey, you know, you're not, not as bad as what everybody makes it out to be. And when that small twist happens, that's when it really captured my attention. The major twist though, it's, it's, for me, it was just bone chilling. It really was shocking and and well well executed. So yeah, I'm I'm right there with Bill with that seven five, but I don't do the halves when I go tens. So I'm just gonna get, keep it at that seven. Yeah, I, I wonder how interesting this can be for people because I feel like we're all pretty much lined up in terms of our uh, our perspectives. It's not, a, not gonna be a lot of arguing, I think here. I, I do really enjoy this movie, and I think it's uh, Christopher Denham is an in, he's an interesting actor. He has been in quite a few things. The Bay. He's also in a pretty good cult slash time travel movie called uh, The Sound of My Voice with Britt Marling. If you guys haven't seen that movie, I, w- I would highly recommend it. But his first movie that he did was actually a 
a found footage film called Home Movie. And it is also, uh, Adrian Pazdar is in that one. And it's a very small side of microcosmic movie. It's another one where you don't quite see what's coming. And when it does, I think the term you used, bone chilling, is a good way to describe that, Greg. And the way they keep this movie running on a lot of supposition and not sure exactly what's happening, it really doesn't play its hand because I don't think it runs through the horror movie tropes as obviously as you might expect, which does keep some of those twists just right out of sight until he's, until he's ready to bring them in. Because a lot of this is about the dynamic between the three of them and the fact that, you know, in a lot of movies, there's the red herring. Hey, the guy with all the troubles, yeah, we're supposed to suspect him. But the movie leans in on in such a way where you aren't entirely certain he doesn't really seem like a safe choice, you know. Can we really trust him? I'm not even saying that what some of his issues don't come back around. But where the movie goes, it keeps a good pace and it's a good thriller. It is The suspense is really strong when it needs to be. And I thought the performances were very good, too. I, I Normally, a big problem I have with these kind of movies, particularly when they develop into a cat-and-mouse sort of dynamic or where there's a central mystery, the characters usually behave in such dumb ways that they just take me out of the movie. And I felt like they were adapting to this pretty well in terms of the way a person would actually behave. I think that, to me, was part of the large strengths of the movie. I'd also give it a 7 out of 10. I only have one... There's only a one part that's really sort of baffling is when they're in, they're in tents and suddenly someone or something has stolen their tent while they were in it. Yeah, you, know, you, that you, to you me wouldn't was have noticed. Like, that's when I started to think, I'm like, what is actually going on here? But otherwise, I think this is a really strong one. It's very entertaining. And I think I think this is one that you, that taking it face value, you're going to enjoy it as a thriller and as a horror film. And you don't have to put the caveat, oh, well, it's slow or it's campy. It just, it is what it is. It's a pretty effective, uh, tight little movie. Okay, so now I will start with my second choice and it's funny because when i picked these there were a couple different movies i was looking at and i picked prophecy right off the bat and then i ended up picking another movie and i watched it and then i after i saw it i was like i don't i don't feel like making people watch this movie (laughs) so i actually picked the second one so i picked a movie called strange nature from 2018 it's directed by james ojala hey what's going on with the town it seems i don't know like it's not doing so well. well most kids leave well i stick around unless you want to work in pesticides pesticides these extremely deformed frogs were recently found nearby now, pollution parasites even uv rays have all been culprits in the past we don't know what is causing it but we think it could be a problem Now, why would you say that? You get the hell back here! And I didn't really realize when I chose it that I was basically picking a movie that's not that far off in theme and and content from prophecy. And in in a way, if if I was giving this like a theme for a you know a freshman college year creative writing class, and I sent sent you away with the idea of write a story about how nature runs amok once uh, a town is polluted, strange nature and prophecy could be two two uh, stories that were sent back to me. So I'm gonna I am gonna keep the plot on this one a little bit low key because I think it offers more surprises 
than prophecy and it's better to know a little less about it going in so i'm going to start with the imdb premise which says eco thriller that unravels how a small town in the midwest deals with growing numbers of wildlife mutations and where they might lead and i'll go a little further in that uh but essentially that's what it is it's another movie dealing with mutations possibly because of contamination and pollution and dealing with its effect on a small town the big difference here is where prophecy i think was attempting to sort of make a really big statement strange nature is a much smaller independent film that is concerned about the dynamics of the town and i think that's where the movie's really kind of interesting because it does try to zone in on what would what does life in this minnesota town look like how would this actually affect people within the town and and that on that count alone i was really kind of fascinated by it uh the cast is pretty good too uh lisa sheridan plays a woman who's coming back she plays kim she's coming back from basically she's gone out to hollywood she had a career as a pop star it's almost if you think of like a, a pop star like debbie gibson or tiffany or somebody coming back to their town years later she's coming back because her dad kind of needs her he's sick she and her son are coming back the relationship between she and her father i think as the movie goes on that's a strong one too but they start to realize that things are wrong and we get the first time we see the mutations in this movie i had a much different response than when you see the mutations of prophecy when you see those rubbery tadpoles because what we see here are frogs with additional legs and appendages and right off the bat, when you see these frogs with their extra legs, the way they're filmed and the way they're presented, they're pretty realistic. I, I was impressed right off the bat that, wait, the the creature effects in this movie, you know, they, they clearly have a limited budget, but they're doing a lot with very little. Some of these scenes are very creepy, very subtly disturbing because of how realistic they're made. We're not talking about ex mutations that don't necessarily look realistic. Now, as we start to see this, again, go up the chain, just like we did in a prophecy, this implication of, is it affecting human beings? And are there, there mutations there? And some of those makeup effects are less effective. But as the movie progresses and things start to get progressively worse... I think those makeup effects and the and the and the and the gore quotient and the horror quotient really rise up to the fore because you could almost mistake this if you're not watching closely for a sort of drama initially and then it kind of becomes a drama with a sci-fi flair and people waiting for horror are thinking hey where where is the horror it does come and it comes in a pretty strong way my opinion is but before it gets there you have a lot of interesting character dynamics you have a lot of interesting approaches to how this would affect different people we get that kind of twilight zone aspect of who the real monsters are and what what happens to us when we are confronted with things that are outside of the the scope of normal again i wanted to mention lisa sheridan she's been in other uh tv shows and movies sadly uh, a few years back she did uh she'd pass away but she's really strong in this one and i think she does carry the movie pretty well i was uh in in, in uh carlos alazerque who plays her father i thought he was really good too and he adds some humor and some a little bit of pathos to the to the story it was a lot of fun to see Stephen Toblowski, who you probably remember as he was in Groundhog Day, kind of the pesky guy who's like, oh, don't you remember me? And he plays the mayor here, and he's really, I ha he's a lot of fun because 
at one point she even says to him you're like one of those bad movie mayors you know like like jaws or something but he plays him as a real person and there's a funny part where she's showing him pictures of the mutations and he says well you know not being normal isn't necessarily bad and she holds up another picture and goes oh oh no 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 that's that's bad but little touches like that i think really amplified the movie for me because they gave it a a human feeling i'm not saying this is a perfectly made film because there are you do see the limitations of the budget but i did really come around and really enjoyed it and i enjoyed it on the on the level with the mutations i enjoyed it for the drama i enjoyed it for the monster movie that it kind of becomes somewhat so i'm gonna give i'm gonna go uh with this one with a seven as well so bill what'd you think about this one uh, this was an interesting film uh the director james ojala it was his directing debut uh but he had done makeup effects for movies such as tron the legacy and x-man the less the last stand so he'd kind of been in that uh area that genre before a uh, couple things. I don't want to give away the ending and how it uh, plays out because I think the viewers need to watch that. But uh, I will say there's lots of odd, freaky characters in town, like the quirkiness of the people in town. Uh, at a certain point, Kim, who plays the mom, becomes almost an Aaron Brockovich type uh, character where she's to see what's going on and to try to right the wrongs. Um, it gets real dark in the last half hour. Uh, and I'm not going to give away what happens, but it, the tone, I almost felt a tonal shift in that last half hour, as opposed to the first half that was much more dramatic or science fiction-y. The uh, neighbor who has a certain affliction, I didn't care for the makeup job. Uh, I think that's where you could see the limitations on the budget. Um, and I did find, uh, coincidentally at the end, this is a bit of a spoiler, but that's okay. The family moves to Ontario, Canada at the end of the film. <laughs> So like, maybe they've come for the healthcare system. I don't know, but I I, I got to chuckle out of that. So <laughs> uh, I would recommend it between a six and a six and a half for me. All right, and Greg, what did you think about this about Strange Nature? Yeah, I mean it's it's a solid movie, uh, and it was humorous that it was very similar to the prophecy, different different in many ways, but still along the same lines. Um, I did find it interesting that uh, that uh, director Jim. Uh, did base this off of some actual events that happened in the early 90s. So that was a, an interesting read that they were having issues with mutated frogs. Um, again, seeing Ned Ryerson, uh, Stephen Toblowski was, was, was a, and you nailed it. I mean, he's playing a, a, a mayor, but he was a realistic mayor. He wasn't fully his typical goofy self, but yet he also was right on the fringe. Um, uh, I believe Tiffany Shepis got to give her a shout out that she was. That's right. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, there's that listener on LOTC. That's just a Jason. Yeah. I I couldn't think of his name, Um, but uh, that had me smiling too. So, Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm right, right, right in the middle. I'm at a, a six out of 10 for this movie i was just gonna say i will give it props for using practical effects there was no cgi in this this is all practical so if you like that kind of thing uh big kudos to them yeah i think they definitely made the most and those practical effects i think do make a difference and they made the most of it and i would i would really recommend that people who are interested in this kind of movie a movie that largely was often made in the 70s and not made as much now not in the way that this one is to give it a give it a chance because i think it 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 is 
it's in some way strong. Will you like everything about it? Maybe not, but I think there's a lot going on here. And it's the kind of movie, you know, when I turn on the sci-fi channel and watch all their ridiculous movies about alien bats and, you know, robot sharks, and, you know, this is the kind of movie with the, with the level of quality I would hope to see on the sci-fi channel, but usually what I get is several degrees below that. <laughs> with with so, way too much CGI. Yeah, so this, if, if the movies the sci-fi channel was putting out were at this quality every single time, I think a lot of people would pay more attention. Not that the sci-fi channel is putting them out, they're just airing them, but, but you know what I mean. Okay, Greg, so I guess your movie will kind of wrap it up for the, the movies we have tonight, uh, so go ahead, take it away. Yep, again, when doing the search, uh, you know, there were a lot of common movies that, that that popped up, but there was this one movie called Timber Falls, and sadly, I forgot to write down the year, and I don't want to guess, but... Uh, 2007. 2007. Thank you, Bill. So, And it's directed by Tony G- uh, Giglo, and it has stars Josh Randall and Brianna Brown. Deep in the hills of rural West Virginia... Far from the reaches of normal life. <laughs> Mother Nature has a secret. Hidden amongst miles of pristine wilderness. a killer i'm gonna list it as an ad libs movie because it's just one of those things a lot of there's a lot of blanks that can be filled by this and by that and as things evolve through the movie it's not that you don't see them coming but once it happens you're kind of like oh yep i kind of knew that but so and again I somehow picked two movies that were very similar in style because not entirely, but here's a couple that wants to escape the city just like in long weekend. And they're going to go for a week hiking through this, this, uh, you know, uh, like a public forest, a state forest. Uh, you know, they're tra- they, they come across the sign and they were advised to take some of the easier paths, some of the easier hiking, you know, so that you don't get lost. And they stumble upon this nice lady and she recommends them, uh, title of film, to go down the Timber Falls path. So as they're going, they're a, a promiscuous couple, they're dating uh, things start to escalate and some locals stumble upon them. And these locals are, you know, the feisty kind. There's three males and they have their guns and they're not really holding them, but just, you know, they're over their shoulder or, you know, broken down and on their lap. And, and um, then the one gentleman tricks, tricks, the tricks Mike into buying some moonshine and it's kind of a clever scene because it's really making you uneasy. They're going down the path and they stumble upon a park ranger. And this park ranger, his name's Clyde. And Clyde guides them to the perfect spot, tells them exactly where to go. 
So, of course, you know, our couple, they want to, you know, consummate their uh, their vacation. So that night they're uh, they're getting a little frisky inside the tent. And, of course, we see they're not alone. Next morning, Cheryl gets up and takes a bath inside the lake. And there's unforeseen visuals that we can see in the background. Unsure on who actually does end up taking her. Mike wakes up, notices she's gone, can't find her, runs around, gets into a fight with the hunters, bashed one of the hunters, you know, on the head. The other one runs away. He comes. They have a tussle. Uh, Mike ends up getting the gun and just knocks him out with the butt of the gun. As he's roaming the woods, he gets caught in a bear trap. (laughs) That's another nightmare of ever being in the woods is getting caught in a trap. But, um... That little old lady, I, she wasn't really little or old, but that the, the woman that we see early, her name is Ida, and she comes along and frees him. Of course, she is a wonderful motherly type of a character, and, and you know, he's going on about these hunters that have now kidnapped his wife, or his, his, his girl, his Cheryl. And sure enough, all gets revealed. When we meet another character named Deacon, Mike realizes that Ida is the evil, and then Clyde comes in, and he's the other evil, and their secret agenda is they want Mike and Cheryl, or, yeah, Mike and Cheryl, to consummate their love and have a child for Ida. But before they can do that, they can't be sinners, and Clyde marries them. So... It all unfolds. It's it's a a style of movie where you have like a, I don't want to say a kidnapper, and then they have to escape, but that's pretty much how it goes. Um, They don't want to let Mike or Cheryl leave. They're they're going to torture them. Uh, Appendages get severed. Um, And it just continues to unfold. And I, I, I did enjoy it. it. It's not a bad movie. Um, I, I didn't find it as, as good as I was hoping, but it was a pleasant surprise. Um, at first, when I first started watching it, I thought, oh my gosh, is this a Lifetime movie uh, that I have roped Nathan and Bill into? <laughs> um, but it really didn't, you know, it has uh, tinges or, or tints of that kind of a movie, but it does go full horror. There is blood. There is some. There's some tension. Um, I left out a few little scenes that happen early on. That you know, like the, a cold entry into the movie. Odd things about Deacon that um, his makeup's a little, little funky, but not as you know. It's it's a believable funk, um, and he just looks gnarly. But uh, overall, again, I'm gonna just go. Right around that mid-range, because it was it was middle of the road. I I I, I guess I'm just gonna go with the six out of ten. It might be on the harsh. I do recommend the movie to to individuals if they're into a wilderness kidnap movie, like a Kiss the Girls kind of a style, but not quite as good as Kiss the Girls. But or the uh, the Collector is another good good one. But with that, having that wilderness and then the, the hillbillies and the wrong turn, another wilderness movie series, kind of-esque feel to it. So, um, 
that's that's what I got. And Bill, what did you think about this one, Timber Falls? I had seen this before, but it took me a while watching it going, oh, yeah, 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 I've seen this. And I had to quite figure out Josh Randall. He's got a look to him. You know you've seen him. I remember him from the TV show Ed. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. A couple things. I agree with Greg. It's kind of a middle of the road. It's not fantastically great, but it's not fantastically bad either. It's kind of got your common tropes. And the one that always happens is you get your foot caught in a bear trap. I don't know how many times I've seen that trope. <laughs> you know, and yet somehow he's able to get it off, no problem or whatever. Um, I will say that the physically challenged Deacon is a bit of a pervert. And there was an awesome jar collection found at this house uh, that I really liked. Um, <laughs> it, the film is not overly deep. Uh, it's not one that you're going to sit and think about for years afterwards or anything. But if you have 90 minutes in the middle of the afternoon and you want to watch something, you could do a heck of a lot worse than this. I, I agree with Greg. This is about a six out of 10. It's kind of in that laid to rest, kind of at that area of ah, it's a slasher. It's okay, but it could be done a heck of a lot better. Bill's new rating scale, like the scale of, well, if you don't have anything better to do, or if it's the middle of the day, or if your leg is caught in a bear trap and there's still enough, there's, there's enough uh, juice in your phone not to call for help, but you can watch a movie. This wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, I get what you guys are saying. I actually I actually really didn't care that much for this one. I think everything you said is technically true in that it is not – it is kind of middle of the road. It starts out – lifetime is not a bad way to describe it, but then it does build a certain level of interest where you're not exactly sure where it's going. And you get into the kidnapping, and that, move, that moment – when we're starting to get a handle on who the characters are, the movie started to get a little more interesting to me because I thought it might play with some of the tropes because they were so obvious, you know. I think this movie, the tropes are so obvious that you feel like there has to be more, you know. When you meet the hillbilly characters, you have to believe that they aren't exactly the way they're being portrayed because it's so on the nose, you know what I mean? It's like they seem like they're being set up to be something different than they are. There was no originality in any of the plot parts with this. No, and to the point when after after a while, it's so blatant in its cribbing, like you call it the ad lib sheet. It is. It's almost like someone had a a page of tropes. Someone said, "I need you to get these things into the movie," and that's what they primarily focused on. Because of that, I also felt that the character seemed the the particularly the the heroic character seemed really really dumb to me in how they tried to handle things because. I could see this stuff coming a mile away, and it, after a while, I'm like, come on, guys, get with the picture. But it was hard because at certain points in the movie, it seemed like it wanted to be a straightforward thriller. And I don't know if it was just because it was hitting those beats we expect so hard that every time it would do something a little get bit goofy, I almost felt like, wait, is it trying to be satirical? Is it trying to satirize? And this movie comes in 2007, which to me, honestly, is probably one of the weakest moments for slashers. Uh Yes, we do get, some people are a big fan of, of some of the stuff that Eli Roth was doing with Hostel, and you have, uh, you know, The Devil's Rejects, but those movies, again, they're a little outside the slasher bent, but you were getting a lot of really bad stuff, movies like Rest Stop and things like that, that maybe they weren't horrible, horrible, but they were, at a, they were kind of cashing in on the, what we now, people use the sort of like torture genre, this was kind of uh, breaking in on that one a little bit. But I think that overall, it just didn't quite work for me. I'd probably give it about a four, uh, just because once the horror starts going, I was actually less interested once we knew exactly what was happening. 
I wasn't as into the into the movie at that point. But I think you're right. It's not it's not terrible. And if you really enjoy this sort of movie, you might get something out of it. But for me, I just after a while, I just wanted to see see the story go in a more interesting direction. And then it just kind of plays out exactly like you would expect. So yeah, I, I, I think they kind of wasted Josh Randall because I think he's a better actor than what the script gave him. I would say Nick Searcy too. He's been in a lot of stuff, and he plays one of the heavies, if you will, towards later in the movie. And it was another thing. I just wanted them to see do more with what they had. But those, those are our movies. And I know, I know, Greg, you have to, to get going. Is there anything else you guys wanted to say uh, about any other movies you, you'd like to talk about or, or wilderness thing in general? The one thing I will say is while we were looking for these movies, I kept coming across a lot of Bigfoot, Sasquatch kind of films. And it, to, it, we got to the point where I just started hoarding the titles and I thought, man... I need to have Bill and Greg back on to talk about Bigfoot movies. So if you guys are game for that, I would love to do that at some point. Oh, sure. Just let me know when. Yeah. Like, as far as the genre goes, there's a few that stand out. And I just kind of scribbled down a couple that kind of encompass the outdoors one. So, like, The Evil Dead. It's a cabin Mm -hmm. in the middle of the woods, and you're going to get action around it. Now, the action mostly happens in the cabin and not the woods, but there are some very specific scenes using the woods and the outdoors that kind of drive it. Uh, Deliverance is the most obvious one to me. More on the thriller side than horror side, but gosh darn it, that doesn't scare the heck out of you after you watch that. There's something wrong with you. Uh, One that I saw last year that uses nature in a much different way is Hagazusa. Uh, yeah. check that one out it's it's a bit of a slog but it's worth the journey uh, as alluded to earlier by Nathan cabin fever is probably your prototypical kids camping in a cabin uh, the wrong turn series as Greg had mentioned already uh, the one that the animal attack one that I first thought of was backcountry which is a heck of a oh, film yeah. if that's, that's a good that. movie and the other one that came to my head was antichrist which takes place Ooh. in Oh man, Bill, come on! <laughs> in the woods, and the and the woods and the forest play a deep theme in it. Yeah, but uh, you're gonna cross your legs a few times watching this film. Oof. Yeah. Um, how about you, Greg? Um, yeah, I mean, Bill was covering up most of those. Uh, you know, like obviously Evil Dead, just because of the 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 woods playing into the movie, and that the original concept was called the woods. One that, when you first mentioned it to me, and it's, I don't know why it popped in my head first, but it was called Fire in the Sky. It's just one of those alien abduction movies, but it utilizes the forest and the and the wilderness because I believe that it's a group of lumberjacks. Yep. But it's yeah. it's just so bone-chilling. I mean, that's one, I was uh, a teenager when that movie came out, and that's that's the commercial that haunts me probably forever. That if you haven't seen the movie, <laughs> then just find it's a good one. Yeah, it, it, it is a good it is a good movie. It took yeah. me almost twenty years to watch that movie because that's how much that movie freaked me out. It's, By it's just got, watching a commercial, it's, it's got <laughs> probably the best abduction scene I've seen in quite a while. Greg, we'll have you back on to discuss that one too, because that that needs its own episode. The whole Travis Walton thing that is, uh, I like that movie a lot. Oh, for but, sure, and a PG thirteen movie too. So it's another one of those. It could be a decent. It's very freaky, but it could be a decent gateway sort of of, of horror movie. 
Um, yeah, it, there were ones I thought of. You had mentioned when Greg, when we were throwing titles back and forth, you uh, into the Grizzly Maze. I haven't gotten a chance to see that one yet. You said it's kind of a schlocky bear movie, but I like bear movies. You know, it plays out like Jaws. It plays out like Jaws. That's kind of fun. Grizzly, I back in the day, I always liked. It's a bit cheesy too. I think from the the seventies. Um, there's one I watched for this that I was originally going to pick, but I didn't, and it's called Cub. It's a Belgian film. It's also known as Welp, and it de- it's interesting because it deals with Boy Scouts and like going to a like a, a summer scout camp, and this little boy who one of the boys he's a little bit ostracized from the others, and this is coming as 2014, and it almost has a let the right one in kind of feel. You know, he meets this this possibly this creature or feral child out in the woods and where the story goes is really really kind of interesting it's no i wouldn't say it's a, a home run but it's a very interesting compelling movie it's not exactly what you would expect so i would recommend cub i, I liked it a lot particularly because you got to spend time with younger characters put in this kind of uh alone in the woods situation normally it's teenagers where you've got the isolated couple i thought this was a nice spin on it so uh cub was one that came to mind something that came to my head that we had mentioned was just before dawn from 1981 oh yes with uh, george kennedy and people that buy a piece of property out in the woods and there's somebody out there whacking people away and it's for that style of film it's pretty good George Kennedy Bill's like cinematic grandfather. Cinematic grandfather. <laughs> and and as Jay Wall, our friend, uh, likes to know about, Jeff Lieberman directed it. <laughs> Randomly, right. Like that piece of trivia. That was a trivia question. And Bill's like, who's Jeff Lieberman? No, nobody knows. Uh, along those lines, American Gothic. I don't know if you guys have seen American Gothic with uh, Rod Steiger and a, a bunch of teens that come across a cabin in the woods. And that is a, a family in the woods. And that is a really weird one, too. It's an 80s slasher that I would recommend. So, but that's uh, that's our show for tonight. Greg, anything else you wanted to say or let anybody know where they can find you online or not find you, if that's uh, that what you wish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's not hard to find me. And I imagine you'll probably tag me, Nathan. So, you know, that's that's usually the easiest way. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm I'm a regular caller for uh, for LOTC. Or, you know, Bill, Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, and uh, Greg Mortis are, are the hosts of. And it's a it's a good show, and I recommend it towards anybody. And um, I thank you for letting me be on this, Nathan. Um, and uh, it was great talking with you again, Bill. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime, Greg. Oh, I, and I appreciate it. And, yeah, well, once we figure out the, the Bigfoot, we'll we'll go that route, too, because <laughs> um, that's, that's another interesting subject with some good uh, some good movies and some that some are not, iffy. And some movies. <laughs> so, so, some that are movies. I did. I'll send you it. Yes, some that are just our movies. I will send you a trailer for one that's just, I don't know if it's out yet or it's coming out soon. It's low budget, but it actually looked promising. And I will also put that up on the on the Facebook page, but it looked interesting. I can't think of the title of it right now, but I think there's, there's enough there that we can scrape something together. So Bill, how about you? Well, it's great to have you guys all on together. I love being invited every time. And uh, Greg, great to talk to you. And I do know that Greg, sometimes you also do show up on uh, J, uh, J of the dead's uh, considering, considering cinema. cinema. And so you're on that from time to time. So 
check out yep. Greg. He's got lots of great comments. He's got a different nickname for whatever show he's on, so it's great to <laughs> try to track him down. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm on Land of the Creeps with uh, Greg Morgan, Greg Amortis, and Dr. Shock, Dave Becker, who all know their stuff. You can find me here. You can find me on Jay Wall's J versus Horror and whatever uh, opportunities he has for that. Uh, and anywhere else, I'm here, there, and everywhere. So hopefully I'll be back. Uh, there's a video on demand roulette to go on. And so uh, keep listening. And if you, as long as you want to hear me, even if you don't want to hear me, I'm here. So. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking the Wilderness Horror. We will get the Bigfoot thing going. And I definitely want to talk Fire in the Sky. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Because when we talk Fire in the Sky, we can talk the... It was based off of, you know... There's only so much latitude with based off a true story, but it was based off an incident uh, with guys that have compelling things to say. So I'd love to, to do an episode about that sometime. But until next time, this is the Phantom Galaxy and stay out of the woods. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop. A lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Mm-hmm.